Had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. So excited you're joining us. I could not be more excited for my guest today, Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding. Welcome. Public speaker, activist, social political commentator, pastor, associate professor at University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, author, and I love this title, Recovering from Racism. You are a candidate for not only the Colorado House of Representatives, the U.S. from Colorado House of Representatives, but the Colorado for the U.S. Senate. I can't wait to ask you questions. <laughs> and then what really got my attention, founder of the Truth and Conciliation Commission. Yes. In this time of this national world context, I could not be more excited to welcome you to Transformation and Change Radio. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for the invitation, and I am looking forward to every aspect of this conversation, um, which is desperately needed right now. So desperately needed. And I like folks to get to know folks. So do you mind just sharing a bit? Because when we talked, I learned about your family a bit and you're growing up. What, how are you personally doing? Any family, friends, your community, and that might be local or not. How are y'all doing in this time of resurgence of COVID-19 in this national context? And we're in two to almost three months now of anti-racism protests and organizing nationally, yes. worldwide. How are you personally doing? So I am in this moment, I'm doing okay. I actually got sleep last night and I have been very conscientious about drinking my water. So physically, mentally doing things to make sure that I am able to sustain myself through throughout the day, throughout the season and the times that we are experiencing. The vast majority of my family is doing well. Um, for the most part, we are healthy and moving forward. There is a global pandemic happening but today is not necessarily an easy day. We here in Colorado Springs are remembering the life of Devon Bailey. It has been a year since mm. his murder from law enforcement here in Colorado Springs. So that in and of itself um, comes with some heaviness and the call and work for justice is still um, very much present in in our community and so people just navigating that space and and um remembrance to celebrate his life but also to stay focused in our determination to have a just society a just community 
I am so aware that I've not heard of Devon Bailey and I'm not that far from you up here in Denver. And I know as a white person, we whites, again, I'm not saying every white, but many of us have a short attention span. And so the emotional, physical and generational trauma impact of another murder of someone in a black body by police just has such cumulative trauma effect. Whereas my guess is if I were to talk to most whites here in our corridor, the Denver and Sea Springs, folks may remember George Floyd, but they won't use the murder term. They may say killed or died. So such a differential impact, whether if you're in the privileged white group or the historically and currently marginalized folk of color, indigenous folk. Um, so thank you for remembering and just folks listening maybe realizing we hear some at the national level, but there are so many local race, racism, white supremacy dynamics that are happening that even local folks only hear from community because the media is not covering because it's a white dominated media. Yes, absolutely. And um, we, again, have been doing everything that we can to continue to say his name and to speak his story his story was definitely part of the movement that Representative Leslie Harrod um, initiated in regards to the police accountability and transparency bill that just passed here in Colorado. So a lot of the things that happened in his case became part of the legislation that moved forward. And of course, we know that later this month, we will be remembering in Aurora, Elijah McCain and the the anniversary of his murder as well. Um, and it, it's, you know, again, when we are checking in and having these conversation, the reality is Colorado per capita, when it comes to law enforcement shootings and, and death, that we are one of the highest in the country when it comes to um, the numbers of people of color who die by officer involved shootings. I had no idea. Um, what little I do remember from within the last month is a video quote surfaced that showed much more about the murder of Elijah. I lost his last name. I'm so sorry. McCain. McCain. Um, and without that, there would not have been more of a groundswell because nationally I'm hearing his name used more. What I'm getting in such touch with is how much grassroots organizing has been happening and represented Leslie Harrod. Did I get her name right? Yes. I saw her when uh, Kamala Harris was here in Denver and she um, introduced Kamala Harris. And so- um, That was a year ago today. <laughs> no. Okay, you and your anniversaries, wow. <laughs> um, so because I do training, consulting, speaking, I'm not, also done local activism, I am sitting here in great respect, awe, and feeling exhaustion for you and others. Because without the local organizing and speaking up, city councils, school systems, politicking, because tell me where I'm wrong, um, Colorado governor was one of the first to talk about finding new ways of doing community policing school and systems. beginning to move towards legislation in the last couple months. Is that a faint memory that's somewhat accurate? 
No, this this is accurate in in regard to actually moving legislation forward. Colorado is setting the pace for a lot of the states, and that is in part because of a lot of the activism, grassroots on the ground, momentum, and keeping the fire hot. So what we have been able to do here in Colorado, other states are now taking notice. Um, one of the major things is in regard to the qualified immunity that police officers had where they, or law enforcement agents, because it's not just uh, to local police, it's county sheriffs and, and others of that nature. To up to a certain point, there was no ability to hold them financially accountable for their actions. And so the state of Colorado being able to move that forward is again, um, precedent for a lot of um, what's happening across the country and banning the use of projectiles and different, you know, uses of force, uh, establishing a definition for use of force uh, are, are ways that Colorado is moving forward. But there's still, as we can see, a lot of work that needs to be done. We do not have genuine community policing programs. We do not invest more in restorative justice as opposed to punitive justice. Um, and, and some would argue that punitive justice is an oxymoron, that it doesn't exist. Um, so those are, are, are some of the things that we're still working to address here in, in Colorado. So the work is not finished, but we are moving forward. I could be wrong, but I think I'm right on this one, that if we had not voted in government polis, that this legislation would not have been uh, moved through. I, I would agree that had we not had a, a democratic legislature and a, yes. <laughs> and a compatible governor that this legislation would not have moved forward. So the election cycle of 2018 was extremely important and we picked up so many seats that were non-traditionally democratic. And again, for me, it's, it's not just about party politics. It is about progress and being able to have the conversations that we have not been able to do so um, prior to. And so people that are listening, I think so many of listeners are like, what can I do now, particularly white? And so maybe out protesting in the streets, others may have, you know, 2020 and be thinking about those down ballot races because turning every legislature blue and every Senate at the state level blue and then our county and city is critical if we're really going to have community public safety shifting in ways that truly supports what's needed moving forward. And most folks are only hearing the term defund police and all of the propaganda that's coming out right. about what that means. And I appreciate your language of beginning to help people understand, well, what could it be, what could be different and what are the outcomes? And so, I, I just want to hit on um, why those down ballot races matter, right? Because we are in a moment celebrating what the state legislature has done in moving um, police accountability and transparency forward. And uh, again, to the point of um, removing this qualified immunity. However, different counties across the state are now looking for ways to indemnify law enforcement. So those having 
county commissioners who are in line with the state legislature. And we saw this um, in the in the year prior where we voted here in Colorado and advanced through the state legislature uh, red flag laws. And then we had county sheriffs who articulated that they weren't going to enforce them. So it's really important that we are not just seeing 2020 and midterm elections about the bigger races, the national races. National races matter. Federal elections matter. But those down ballot races, particularly if you are a white person asking yourself, what can I do? Register as many people as you possibly can to vote and participate in candidates' campaigns. We, we need that, that work to be coalesced so that we can have a, a more in sync state across the board. And particularly white folks that are younger may have uh, time energy to get involved in those county city and then learn all the issues because when we as white people share with our family, our friends, we're Facebooking, Instagramming, Snapchatting, our voice will be heard differently because folk of color, indigenous folk have been raising these issues, talking about these issues for decades, centuries, are now the need for us to partner with, show up, speak up. Um, and you can tell even now I'm learning so much from you, Stephanie. Um, and to folk across all racialized identities, as we get involved in campaigning, whether it's voter registration, calling people, whatever you're doing, maybe you have an ability to write stuff and your help, then you might go, wait a minute, in two years, I could run for something. And you've got some relationships because what we need is more people who will speak truth to power, who really are looking at a dismantling oppression, particularly dismantling anti-blackness, dismantling racism, all kinds, anti-indigenous dynamics. So, woohoo! did not expect to go down this one yet. <laughs> Anything you want to say before I stay here and ask you another questions about what? Oh, I'm good. Go for it. So what could it look like? Um, I know me. I'll tell this quick story. When I first heard defunding the police, I was resistant. That was, what, six or eight weeks ago? But I know DeRay's work, McKesson, mm -hmm. DeRay McKesson in uh, Eight Can't Wait. Yes. So I'd seen him before. And so I was like, well, let me look it up. And after an hour and a half of researching, I was, I was there. But a lot of folks may not spend that time and I still only know a little bit. So could you please, what could it look like and where has it already happened? So again, and this is for everybody listening that we have to be very, very mindful of dog whistles and the way in which media attempts to truncate ideas with, you know, quick phrases and things like that. Defund the police is a, a well-researched and thought out um, practice of examining the ways in which we fund what is important to us, right? Mm -hmm. So what I have learned running for office and being very politically engaged is that our budgets reflect our values. Mm -hmm. So, for example, here in Colorado Springs, 47% of our budget goes to, our city budget goes to public safety. 
<laughs> of our city's budget goes to public safety. And when we think about that in comparison to education and housing and um, ensuring that infrastructure and um, employment opportunities are available, if almost half of the city's budget is around policing and fire, we might need to think about what our values are. <laughs> and particularly when we think about uh, law enforcement, right? So, so our, our students are more policed today than they have ever been in the history of our society, right? And in that, dealing with um, SROs in, in school systems, the, the school to prison pipeline or what have you, instead of investing in police, why are we not investing in social workers? Why are we not investing in the basic needs that families are direly in need of to help sustain themselves, to help sustain their lives? And this is a way to really re-engage this conversation about where our treasure is, so is our heart, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I say that from a very spiritual place. Um, just to, again, a, another example, in terms of our values and our practice, I saw a meme the other day on a friend's Facebook post, and the, the gist of the conversation was, we will literally demonize and remove children from a home when parents are, are trapped in cycles of poverty, right? So we will remove children from their families because of poverty as an issue and turn around, give them to another family and then give that family thousands of dollars to raise that child as opposed to <laughs> giving the family in which that child is born the, the necessities. If we're going to give away the money anyway, why not invest in developing healthy, strong families so that they can come out of the situation of poverty and still be healthy and whole as a unit, as a community, as you know, culturally relevant to, to one another. So this is the same with our, our budgets around law enforcement. If we took care of the basic needs of people, which housing, employment, crime really is a reflection of how stable communities are and what public safety looks like is a reflection of how sustainable communities are. If we took that and invested in people, then we would have less crime. Criminologists tell us, tell us this all the time and we would not have the need to continuously militarize and disproportionately fund law enforcement. And over-police our low-income communities of color. Because I tell me I'm wrong, I don't believe low-income white communities are over-policed in the same way. They are not. Because when you're talking about crime, it's that interpersonal crime, am I right? Which yes. most white middle-class and above folks are like, ah, 
a racist class of stereotypes of who does that crime mm -hmm. without seeing the crime that happened in 2008 and 9 in hedge funds, Wall Street, so quote white collar crime that is happening to this day. And even, okay. even the, the direct, you know, um, stereotyped crime, burglary, drug um, use, or things like that. I, I talk to my students all the time. If I am at Cheyenne Mountain High School, the level of drug use in certain parts of the city is equal to the level of drug use in other lower income um, communities of color. And the reality is, if we don't have- I think we lost your sound, am I right? Yes, no. Try nope. again. I still got you, both Benny, of you. Benny, do I we have got, our sound? Uh-huh, I still got both of you. Okay, keep going, I lost her. <laughs> okay. Um, so again, to your point that we are not policing white communities in the same way that we are policing communities of color. How many decades did it take for co white cocaine or whatever crime to be held in the same way that crack cocaine was? So powder cocaine and crack? Absolutely, you're absolutely correct. Um, much less how the legal system would let someone like me off, much less I had access to a different kind of legal law counsel. We could keep, I could talk to you several times, <laughs> Dr. Rose Spalding. Um, So the question would still be in some of my listeners. Okay, okay, I get it. If first responders weren't just police, but social workers or folks that are really skilled at dealing with folks with mental illness or folks that are really skilled at domestic violence and family. So if that truly was some of the first responders across all class and racial lines. And so we need to shift some funding and maybe foster care system. I wonder why we did create it. And if there were different investments, if we come back to policing, mm -hmm. what, what is happening in some places that have truly reshifted priorities, budgets? Do you have any examples of cities that have really shifted and what some of the results are? So we, we're struggling in the United States to actually see that shift, but it is starting to take place in San Francisco. Mayor Breed um, just announced that they are going to, I believe, shift $120 million out of their city budget into this kind of um, investment in social services and the training of counselors to really engage them as uh, models for first response. It's happened better in international space. And I, <laughs> and I know when we bring up international communities that um, a lot of times we, we get the, well, America's not a socialist or anything like that. <laughs> and we're not arguing for socialism. What we're arguing is for a shift, an ideological value shift into the humanity of people and preserving the humanity of people as opposed to this construct of policing people. Um, so the United States is, is looking for those models and some cities are beginning to take hold of this. You, we see it in Minneapolis that they too have voted to actually abolish their, their police structure 
And again, it is not to alarm anyone. It, it really just means how can we think about what public safety looks like differently? So we will be seeing this, um, you know, coming in the pipeline for the next five and 10 years um, to see how the United States responds to these, these different models and modalities of what public safety and public trust can be. Mm. And I think I saw a statistic that for most law enforcement, 5% of their time is about being in the moment of a crime and trying to not have it happen. And that is not a data point that I knew from watching Law and Order and Cagney and Lacey and other things. And if we have a right. different result in 2020, then we may actually get more progress faster with especially we take back the U.S. Senate. Yes. We're going to need to go to break. Before we go, first of all, I'm loving learning with you. Would you mind just sharing with folks how they can find you? I know it's on the radio show's website for this, but how can people find you if they want to say, I want to learn more with you, have you as a speaker, have you do some Zoom training with us? How can they find you? Absolutely. My website is Dr. Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-Y, rose.com. And it has all of my Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all of them. You, you can find me at Dr. Stephanie Rose. So if you remember that and that my parents put a Y in my name, <laughs> then you can find me online on every platform, Dr. Stephanie Rose. Thank you. And I love that your folks knew, no, we're going to give her name that people will remember. Yes. Um, and of course, drkathyorbear.com backslash resources, all kinds of free resources, all three of my books, lots of webinars, plus all of the work that I did recently on white accountability groups with Rachel Forrester this summer. So if you're wanting to start some of your own groups in your community, your organization, bringing together folks, to really look at dismantling racist attitudes, behaviors, doing our own self-work so we can truly partner and stay in the dialogue and dismantle racism, organizations, family structures, societal, lots of free resources there. When we come back, more with Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding. See you all in a few minutes. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Stephan each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. The power of inspiration and awakening radio with Juliet Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com. 
Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. Welcome back to Transformation Change Radio. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear and having such an enlightened conversation with Dr. Stephanie Rose Balding. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Would you talk more about your experience of running for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate for those Colorado seats? Because most folks listening are like, I've never really talked, for me, I've never really talked to someone like you who has uh so what was it like what did you learn or what would you like to say to folks about what's needed in this current context absolutely i will say that we need more and more diverse voices and people to run for public office at every level when i decided to say yes and run the first time i ran for the u.s house and it was in response in a large way to the 2016 election cycle, the level of you know, devastation that not only I felt, but my students and community felt. Um, one, in the sense that we had an individual who was utterly unqualified, just unqualified for the presidency of the United States. And in part, looking at myself and saying, you know, here I am doing this activism work, having earned a PhD, having earned tenure, and this guy is the president of the United States. I know. Um, just that comparative was very problematic for me, but the reality is he had the audacity and that is, that is what white male privilege looks like, right? Is the ability 
to see yourself as ridiculous as it may sound and seem as the president of the United States. Um, whereas women of color are out here doing the on the ground work and transforming communities and uprooting systems. And we are still, still begging for scraps from the table. Um, and, and that's a problem. So we need to have more diverse people running for office. What I did learn in the process is people are not ready. <laughs> they are not, they are not ready for the, the transformation that inclusion requires, right? Um, we tell ourselves that we love diversity, but we actually don't because diversity means conflict. Diversity means that you don't agree fully with the perspectives that people are bringing. Diversity means discomfort, right? That you have to learn to see someone in their fullness. For example, you have to learn to see a black woman without straight processed hair. As simple as that, right? Um, because for both of my campaigns, I, I literally wore a weave for three years mm. because I knew Colorado was not ready to see a black woman with non-processed straight hair. Um, so I learned that people are not ready and that we don't necessarily do civic engagement well. Like we are not structured. We are not smarter than a fifth grader. Um, we do not do civic engagement well. We perceive that being involved politically is voting every four years in a federal election cycle. We have no idea what it means to be on the ground and even what it takes to get candidates to that level. There are so many systems operating that demean and exclude candidates from running before you even get to know them, before you even recognize that you had the possibility of a choice, someone has made choices for you to mitigate that. In my experience running both times, media would never cover, never cover all of the candidates equally. So this last election cycle, there were at one point up to 13 women who put their name in the hat to run for U.S. Senate for the state of Colorado. And most of your listeners, most of the people in Colorado only knew Andrew Romanoff and John Hickenlooper. Yep. And that was done purposefully. It was done by media. It was done by funders. It was done by the National Party, National Democratic Party. So these systems are even blocking your opportunity to choose and participate civically in an equitable way. Um, so will I run again for something? Probably. And I will continue to do so until we dismantle what these systems are, because that's the kind of transformational work that I'm invested in. So many of us are only committed to change and not transformation. Okay, that piqued me. 
got my ears going. Can you talk about what you mean by those terms? Because so many folks, we, especially white people, are throwing around more terms these days without knowing what others mean by them. Absolutely. So change um, for me is very much a checkers move, right? Like you can move pieces and parts in and out without really, um, without dismantling anything, right? So for example, if there, what I found, especially in the political cycle is that even when we talk about diversity, we are so stuck at the level of change that we are willing to have the same kind of ideology and processes and thinking as long as the person looks different. Transformation, however, is very much a chess and, and structural mm -hmm. move, right? Where there's a breakdown in the system. There is something very much like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Most people think that the caterpillar goes into its cocoon and just grows wings. It actually breaks down and decomposes completely and then is reformed into something new. If we want to transform what political representation looks like here in the US, we have got to be willing to let go of pieces so much of ourselves and even the structure so that we get to this place of being able to develop something new as opposed to just moving players around in the same kind of game. At the organizational level, folks may relate to what you're saying that we have different demographics. So a few more white women in leadership, one or two more people of color, maybe someone who's indigenous, but the powers that be are yes. hiring folks to make us look good on the website and do our diversity work, but we're not changing the culture, the climate, the practices, the policies, our services, unless it's in our self-interest because there's money in it. Absolutely, absolutely. Ugh. So I, uh, you can probably tell I want a huge change in 2020 but that's just because we've gone so, there's so much fascism and so much white supremacy in mainstream day-to-day -day practices. Mm -hmm. Every day the EPA is getting destroyed, the planet, I could keep going. And I'm not naive enough to know that even if everything goes blue, if then the powers that be will say, well, we're just gonna change enough so that we can keep power. Um, and we may not have enough progressive voices in, in powerful positions because corporations fuel elections. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, so and I will argue, um, this is, you know, take it grain of salt. My own prediction is that we will not get transformation from the 2020 election cycle. And and we will probably also experience, and we have to prepare ourselves for it, we will experience an even further rise in fascism and white supremacy because they will have then lost something. And the desire to reclaim it will um, be you know, at the forefront. So we have to prepare ourselves that even with a democratic president, if we so happen to win that situation, we are going to still be for 
some time. And I would suggest another five years dealing with the rise in white supremacy and fascism on the ground at a grassroots level. And that, that's how the Tea Party came to be the Tea Party is because they recognized what they had lost and they began fighting for, you know, the preservation and the reclamation of it. And it was this cute name called the Tea Party as opposed to let's look at your racist attitudes and practices and policies, <laughs> your classist practices and policies, your anti-woman, anti-LGBTQ, I could keep going. What I'm reminded of is you are so in it for the long haul. And I, as a white person, I think most white people, especially we with class privilege, whites who may have been in the labor movement and are still in union and labor movements may get the long haul. But I think we who have had so much privilege um, may not. And so I couldn't leave. There's some, I couldn't leave without at least talking a bit about the national truth conciliation process, because I think the bridge here is this is for the long haul yes. that you are the founder of this call for a national truth and conciliation process, knowing that it may not happen tomorrow or three, five years, but that grassroots work may get more hearts and minds that vote differently or in leadership in many ways. So can you just talk about what this is and why is this so critical these days? Absolutely. So the reality is that many countries, once they have experienced um, a, a traumatic violation of human rights, they have come to this place of having truth commissions to begin. So we see that with South Africa, with the fall of apartheid, that part of the healing process for its nation and I'm not saying that it's successful, like there's much critique about what took place in South Africa and has taken place in about 40 other countries elsewhere. But it is a, a moment, um, an opportunity that allow as a nation to a, acknowledge the human rights violation that, that has happened and to articulate very specific roles that people and institutions played in the violation of those human rights um, and, the, and the loss of life, right? The United States in its 500 year history, and I say 500 years um, yeah. in dealing with this because I, I centered this work in 1513 that a number of people want to talk about 1619 and 1619 is extremely important when we think about the, the first Africans being sold in Virginia and, and the, the, the very physical, tangible pinpoint of slavery in the United States. But 1513 marks a hundred years of white racial violence and genocide towards indigenous populations and even what it me meant to claim a land and colonize a land that did not belong to you. And again, the, the violation towards indigenous people. Um, so we have never as a nation had the opportunity, well, I won't say opportunity, we've always had the opportunity to acknowledge it, but we've never gone through the process of acknowledging these gross human rights violations that have occurred on this soil, on this land. And 
we continue to find ourselves in places like this, in moments like this, where we have this racialized uprising at the loss of the lives of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and so many more that have yet to be named or, and have a hashtag developed for them. We find ourselves coming back to these moments because they're only symptoms of a much deeper and ingrained, uh, institutionalized, systemic problem and disease here in the United States. And until we can begin articulating that, we will keep coming back to the poison fruit from a poisonous tree. So my desire in, and my work for calling for this is A, yes, we can have Congress dictate that we will have a truth and conciliation commission. But until we as individuals on a very grassroots mass level begin to transform our hearts to do the work of what a truth commission calls for, we will never get to the place of conciliation. And I am very clear that the United States, very different from every other country that has had truth and reconciliation, we do not have a national moment that we can return to in order for reconciliation to occur. Reconciliation presupposes that there was a sacred agreement at one point that existed and we can go back. Think about that in terms of your marriage and relationships, right? Like to reconcile a marriage means that you came together on mutual terms to art articulate that relate. We don't have that in our history. So we must build that if we are going to be the nation we desire to be going forward. Reminded me that I read something yesterday Someone said, I talk about Black Lives Matters because Blacks were not considered in the Declaration of Independence. I talk about Black Lives Matter because Blacks weren't considered in the Constitution. Well, three-fifths. So in a similar way, tell me if I'm wrong, you're saying we first have to get a, an agreement of what humanity looks like and who we want to be moving forward as we also then talk about the, just the historical devastation and the trauma and the violence and the murder and genocide. And you're just talking about Africans and then Af enslaved folks for several centuries, indigenous folks for five centuries. And then we can add all other folk of color yes. who have had some very similar, different but similar violations, human rights violations then and now. Tell me where I'm wrong. Did I read that you're actually taking actions? This isn't just an idea, but you are actually on the ground. We are doing this. <laughs> we are not, again, and, and for me, that's a part of that transformation. We are not waiting for permission from Congress to begin this work. We are moving in a very grassroots way, connecting with individuals and communities on the ground who are ready we just returned from Louisville, Kentucky, calling for justice and standing in solidarity mm -hmm. for Breonna Taylor. We will be present. The Commission, Truth and Conciliation Commission, will be present in Washington, D.C. at the end of this month. 
for Get Your Knee Off My Neck. That's being organized by the National Action Network led by Reverend Dr. Al Sharpton. So we we are moving people and, and building the collective momentum. And again, we ask that anybody that's listening, visit us at truthandconciliation.org to take the pledge because the pledge is an affirmation that we are ready to begin to have these conversations, that we are ready to begin to hear this history. We are ready to begin to hear the impacts on people's lives of this generational trauma that we continue to pass down as the fabric of who we are in America. Mm. And folks that are listening, if you're K-12 teacher, you can be thinking, how could I teach history differently? How can I learn what Dr. Rose Balding's talking about, whether it's going to the Southern Poverty Law Center and tolerance for teaching tolerance. Yep. So there's so many resources that are out there that most places don't teach our teachers. And if you're on a school board or you're in a parents group, you can do something by saying, I'm gonna look at how we're teaching about history and how our faculty are supported doing that, much less anybody listening that's doing it at the community college or college level, you have much more freedom to do that. And we'll have to end soon with your call to action. We're not waiting. Yes. And so listeners, don't wait for Congress, for president, for your governor, be a part of the change you want to see. What can you do with your skills, your strengths, whether it's to, around public safety, whether it's around voting, whether it's around what we teach, whether you are really trying to get folks to realize there are people dying today, mostly folk of color, mm-hmm. because of COVID-19's incompetent political response. Take a yes. deep breath. My goodness, I could talk to you for hours, Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding. Thank you so much for being here. Would you mind sharing one last time how people can find you? Because I'm not the only one that wants to come talk to you more. <laughs> Absolutely. I am at drstephanyrose.com. That is D-R-S-T-E-P-H-A-N-Y-R-O-S-E.com. And if you are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you can find me at Dr. Stephanie Rose. Thank you so much. And I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear again, drkathyobear.com. Lots of free resources, backslash resources. You'll find even more backslash events. You'll see the courses I have coming up around inclusion partners and leading wide accountability spaces. Monday, September 7th, I'm very excited. The two folks for the podcast, Teaching While White, Jenna Chandler-Ward and Elizabeth Denevi, who have decades of work in K-12 work and also working with white leaders to really create inclusive, racially just classrooms, their curricula. And at this time, there is no greater need right now for K-12 to be thinking about creating anti-racist classrooms and what it means to have, since what, 80% of teachers are still white women? Something like that. So take a deep breath. Dr. Stephanie Rose Balding, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, I so appreciate you and all you do in the world. Likewise. Listeners, take good care. See you in a month. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. 
Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Did you know that when we talk about the Earth's ecosystems, the most important ecosystem has been left out? You, we created the ecosystem approach to recapture human potential. Find us at theecosystemapproach.org. Join us every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for the Ecosystem Approach Show with Jason and Patricia on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Conscious Confidence Radio, a timeless wisdom with Sarah Main. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and join Sarah on an adventurous journey to the deeper level of meaning to move beyond today's world of constant change, confusion, and uncertainty beyond the shadow of fear. This hit show explores key concepts such as confidence, values, and attitude in a dynamic way. To learn more about Sarah and her work, visit sarahmain.com. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got talk radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life? Check us out at drpatshow.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh my goodness. Tired of not losing the weight? You need a healthy solution for weight loss that protects your muscle mass as the fat burns away naturally. Holistic Medical Center has the healthy option for your weight loss concerns. Lose one to three pounds per day in 21 days naturally under our physician supervision. Call Holistic Medical Center 425-451-0404 or on the web drdarvish.com, D-R-D-A-R-V-I-S-H.com. Tune into Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce every first and third Tuesday of the month at noon Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. Join Susan and her guests as they share the stories that shift our souls about radical transformations, courageous breakthroughs, and life lessons. Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce. For more information, go to transformationtalkradio.com or visit Susan's website at susandolci.com. Do you sometimes feel overwhelmed by your mind? Powerless when it seems to spin in worry circles or bombard you with self-critical thoughts? Do you want to learn how to master your mind and feel more in control of your life? Listen to Dr. Friedman's Empowerment Radio. Shift from confusion to clarity, self-doubt to confidence, and from anxiety to peace and balance. Dr. Friedman and his many guest experts share the insights and tools you want to live with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Tune in to Empowerment Radio every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time.